0: That we read in John chapter 11. This is the story of Lazarus. It reads like this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one who you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went up. He went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. In the resurrection at the last day, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, and even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, order, order, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let's pray together for our pastor. Lord, these words reach deep into our hearts because many of us have tasted the sting of death. Many of us have grieved someone close to us and have wondered the similar things that Mary wondered and Martha wondered, why weren't you there, Lord? But God, we realize that you are there. And Lord, the afflictions of our lives, God, they're not the end. And in you, we have resurrection power resurrection and life lord bless pastor mike as he comes to deliver these words to deliver your words with that same power it's in christ's name that we pray amen
1: you sang before i came in the room sometimes mid scenes of deepest gloom sometimes where eden's bowers bloom what is a bower what it's a tree limb were you guys all on that did you sing that flowing tree limb. Now you guys go home today and say, we educated our pastor because he had no idea what we were singing about. So that's when the bow breaks. That's what you're saying? Thanks for not teaching me that, mom. Um, (laughs) She's over there going like this. Well, okay, if you have to do that. Thank you for sharing that with me. Uh, I do want to say uh, uh, something as we go. I hope that you'll look around, and, and, and I tell you this because it, it links where we're going. Um, yesterday, we had uh, 20-some confirmation students here cleaning this or that. They painted new parking lot uh, lines out there in the, behind the Carnegie building. They fixed all the chairs in the chapel, and they did a lot of Murphy's oil. And I'll tell you what, we had a group go through third floor and clean everything that uh, moved and did not move. And, and we do all of that, so that the students know that we are one in Christ. That, that not just that this building is their church, but that this body, the human beings that are part of it and extend beyond here, are all one. And how are we all one? You, you may or may not know that this is World Communion Sunday. And today, millions, probably over a billion people in a you know, 24-hour pe- period of time will take Holy Communion centered around the fact that we are one body in Christ. We speak many different languages. Some of us read very different things and preach differently in all sorts of things. But we all unite in one very important fact and truth that is basic Christianity when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. This is central to our faith. That Jesus Christ proclaims who He is And who he is for you. He is the resurrection and the life. And so when we come together in a few moments at Holy Communion, understand that he is that for you. He is that for the seventh grade kids that were flinging around paint and wiping stuff down. He's that for your grandchildren or people you don't know that haven't been born. And he's that for all those that came before you. He is for all people everywhere, the resurrection and the life. And I cannot, but I will try to, I cannot tell you the depth and richness of the importance of that. We see it come to life in the story of Lazarus' passing, his first death. Jesus' friend, Lazarus, has died. He he was warned it was coming. Mary and Martha were his friends. Lazarus was his friends. It even said that that Jesus loved him. And yet, he dies. And today, let's unpack why. When when the disciples are are told, Jesus, Lazarus is very sick. We need to go with him. And Jesus says, he's just asleep. And and they said, "But, but it seems like we should have a little more urgency. And Jesus says, this will not end in death. This will not end in death. But yeah, but Lazarus is dead, and Jesus knows it. What's that all about? Jesus knows that Lazarus is dying or dead, and he loves him according to the scriptures that Keith read and you have in your hands and your pockets and everywhere else. And instead of doing what a lot of people do as soon as we hear there's a problem, he lingers. He doesn't take off running and say, I gotta get back to Bethany. My, my boy is sick. My homie's sick. I gotta get to him. He says, we'll go. This is not gonna end in death. And he lingers for two days. That's not just a little while. That's not, you know, I always, I deal with students all the time. And they tell me this. They say, when their dad says, I'll be there in a minute, it means they'll be there in 10 minutes. When they'll be there in a little while, it means a half hour and when they say I'm trying to get there you better call mom okay all right that's what that means okay so so Jesus doesn't say I'll be there in a minute I'll be there he just says we'll get we'll get along to that and, and they go to bed twice and they have dinner twice and they have breakfast twice and then Jesus goes to Bethany now his hesitancy to solve problems that are in front of people right now puzzles us because our problems are right now, right? If you ever get a cold and you all have, you never say, boy, I hope in, in, in 14 days I get rid of this. You don't say that, right? Or when you have a financial crisis, you, you don't say, well, I hope in seven months something clean. We want this fixed right now. When we have an emotional problem, we don't say, boy, I, I, I really am, you know, got some dissonance going on in my mind. I hope that by this time next year, things come together for me. We want things solved right now, especially when we know someone that's in front of us that has the ability to solve it. Because our problems are right now. But, but I want to remind you of this. That, that, that every movement of Jesus has purpose. And when we're troubled, when things are going wrong with us, understand this, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father aren't in heaven. I've said this before. They're not up there wringing their holy hands saying, Oh my goodness sake. What should we do about about, about that problem that that Craig's got? What should we we do about the problem that Kay's got? What what will we do? What will we do? That's not how the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Lord Jesus works. His action has one purpose. This is your second quiz. You got the first one right. Well done. I know the answer to this one. Every single action of the Lord has one purpose. What is it? You can say it out loud. What is it? Right, to glorify God. Thank goodness. We, we know this congregation. Every action Jesus does is to glorify God. And so when he says, this will not end in death, he's also saying, this happened for the glory of God. This happened for the glory of God. It's right in the scriptures. i not making this up. See, Lazarus' family and friends are distressed just like you would be. They, you, you can see that the Jews were hanging around, that's the, the faith they were in. They were having i, I don 't know if you know if, if Jews have funeral dinners like we do you know with the you know the appropriate salads and the cookies and the, the line of sandwiches but they 're having you know something and they 're all together and they 're distressed they 're upset because because Lazarus has died and, and they 're hurting and they 're broken and their agony is real because they don 't know what Jesus knows and we don 't know what Jesus knows sometimes we can know what he tells us, and we can be assured and his holding the outcome but in the middle of something these people are pretty distressed and and I relate this because all this comes home to us, you know, preaching is important to get into the timeless truths of the scripture and it's also important for us to relate it to the timeliness of our lives so be assured about this this in this scripture Jesus is not delayed he is not Uncaring, he's executing God's plan. He's executing God's plan, and the counsel to us is that if every action of Jesus glorifies God, one of the take homes we have to get from this message to do is the question today is the question: Does every does our every action does our every action point to the glory of God? Does every action I, I know myself, and right now, no. You know yourself, right? Now, I think about it, it's still early in the day. It's only 9 o'clock according to that clock in the back, which I still hate very much. <laughs> you haven't had that much time this morning, but has every act you've done focused on the glory of God so far today? How about the rest of the day? And one of the take-homes that we're supposed to have is, does every action of ours point to the, to the glory of God? And I tell you this because I want to talk about your trials See, the trials we face can ultimately bring glory to God because God can bring good out of any situation. Do you believe that? Can I get an amen to that? That's a hard amen, isn't it? You're kind of like, what? Okay. See, the reason I put that up there is, see, Mary, not to mention Lazarus, of course, but Mary and Martha and their friends, are going through a real difficult time. And some of you are too. You know, I stand at an elevated position and long ago, you quit being heads to me that I'm talking to and your people that I love and know. So when I stand here, I see wounds and temptations that are real. I see a handful of people in this service right now that that are battling cancer, and wrestling with chemotherapies and others, I see a handful of a handful of people every time I stand here that are having emotional wounds, like you know, relationships that are troubling them, or or marriages that are pulling apart or being divided right now. Every time I stand up here, I I, I see people that are, are struggling with, with with difficulties within their minds, and, and I tell you this, and every time I stand up here, I see also people that I know that have real temptations. With, with money, with gambling, alcohol, porn, whatever it is. Real temptations. And those wounds and temptations are real. That's why it's important for us to align with something like this. That the trials and, and, and that we face can ultimately bring the glory, glory to God. Because God can bring glory out of every situation. So the question is, can your wounds, can your difficulties, can your trials and temptations... Be used for gain, for the kingdom of God. Can, can those wounds that you have be used for gain? Let, let me tell you a quick story. It's out of the Bible. You can read this in Genesis if you want to. I'd encourage you to. There was a man named Joseph. You know, you saw the Donnie Osmond version with the Technicolor dream coat, right? This, this man was not famous as much for his coat in his life as he was what he did because of that. See, he was the favorite of his father, which greatly disrupted his brothers. So his brothers tried to lose him. They couldn't lose him because he was good at getting found. So they finally decided to, to, to beat him, but they didn't want to beat him to death, so they didn't really kill him. They threw him in a pit, and then they decided, hey... We can sell him for some cash. So they sold him some, some travelers by who sold them into, into to Egypt. And long story short, God was so with Joseph that Joseph was, was risen up into power in Egypt. And Joseph became so powerful in Egypt that he was in charge of the king's warehouses. And when the whole Middle East, including Israel, where his family, his other 11 brothers still were, came under a great famine, and so did Egypt, he'd been told in a dream to store up all this grain and have it ready for those who would need it because they'd he's be starving to death in Egypt and his brothers came to him but so many years had passed by that they didn't really recognize him anymore because they'd all aged a little bit and Joseph was in such a place of power when they figured he was either he was probably sold and, and, and cutting wood for somebody or something or shearing sheep or something like that but here he is in the king's palace and they come to him and, and I won't go through all the the, 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 the the stories but they're afraid that this priest or, or this this next to the prince kind of guy, this Joseph, who, who they don't know that's his name because he's speaking to them in, in, in Egyptian, is going to kill them or not let them help, help them. But then he reveals to him that he's their brother, which of course had wounded his whole life. His whole life was around the fact that his brothers had rejected him, had wished him dead and didn't love him or anything like that. And then he says this, you intended to do me harm by, by selling me off. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, because Joseph had ability and asset to, to open the grain, grain house and, and give that, the food to them, and, and thereby, you know, rescued his family from the famine. See, what seemed to be bad, and, and not just for a couple weeks, but for several decades in Joseph's life, what seemed to be bad, God reversed To use for something good. And my question again is, can your wounds be used for gain? Can you see this? Whatever it is that's in front of you. Whether it might be loneliness or health issues or or some other thing. I, I can't. There's so many among us. Wounds and difficulties and temptations. But can you see this? Whatever it is that's in front of you. Can you see that this will not end in death? It will not crush and cripple you. It will not be the ruin of you if you align yourself with God. One of my favorite passages, I I refer people to it all the time. It's Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for good. Now, it used to, in, in an older Bible I had, people used to always quote this to me. They'd say, everything works together for good. And then they'd stop. I'm like, there's no period there. All things work together for good, for those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. That's how the verse goes. There's three distinct parts to it. See, all things are not good. <clears throat> amen? Are you, are you hearing me today? All things are not good. Okay, amen. I got people downtown walking in a walk that aren't at worship today because we know for sure cancer ain't good, right? We got people that are having these emotional problems. We know that's not good. We have others that are divided in their families. We know that's not good. So all things are not good. They can, they can, don't have to be, but they can be used for good if you're called according to his purpose. If you buy into the purposes of God. Don't try to wrangle it for your own use. But if you buy into the purposes of God and God thinks long, not short, you know, we want things fixed right now. I am dying because it's taken seven days for Mediacom to come fix my cable and I got football today. You know what I'm saying? We want stuff fixed right now. That's a first world problem, by the way. That's a first world problem. And I have friends and I expect an invitation later. But the... Fortunately, the Cowboys are on network, but we'll come back to that because that's not really a problem. But, but all things are not good, but they can be used for good if you're called according to his purpose, if you buy into the purpose of God and understand that everything is not fixed right now in the blink of an eye. The Lord is not tarrying. He's waiting. As Pastor Keith, I think, said or prayed, he's waiting until just the right time. He may not give you what you want, but he will give you what you need. And if you buy into his purpose, you can accept that. Because at first blush, it sometimes doesn't feel good or tastes good. But in the long time, you got to remember what we're going through right now. What we're going through right now in 10,000 years, we'll still be finishing the first chorus in the heavenly chorus. All right? So God plays long, not short. This. Is to help you align your life, this, whatever it is, with the resurrection and the life. This will not end in death. Whatever your this is, this, this that you're going through right now will not end in death because he who is life can surely restore life. In your troubles, you can claim him. Proclaim your defense. It's one of the things I, I say proclaim your defense. See, Mary and Martha knew right away what their defense was. Did you notice their story? I love this part of the story. These women were a force to be dealt with. I know some women like that. I have some in my life. But did you notice the force that they have? They weren't wondering what went wrong. When Jesus came, I don't think that Mary or Martha accosted her, but she walked up to Jesus greeted him and said, if you'd been here, right? She says, if... You had been here, we would not be in this mess, Lord. Now, what what inkling did she have that Jesus could solve it? That was her whole defense. She didn't think that he was traveling around with a pack of elixirs that he could rub on his head or something like that. He didn't think he had some injection that he could give to Lazarus. She just knew, if you'd been here, we wouldn't have had that. What does Martha say a few verses later? Martha comes to Mary and says, Mary, Jesus is here. She runs to him what's her sentence to him Lord if you had been here if you had been here we would not have to be having the funeral casserole we would not have to do that because alignment with Jesus is is, is all that they knew it was their only defense it was the only thing they knew and so Jesus started to talk to her and talk to, to Martha and said well Martha what did you expect from me and look what she says she says yes Lord I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. She expects him to do that. She expects him to heal Lazarus in the short term. She expects him to to, to eradicate whatever disease that he had. And Jesus says, that's the exact response you're supposed to give me. This is the exact response that Jesus wants from us. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. That's the exact response that Jesus wants from us and you throw your whole life into this. See this death, this death of Lazarus is essential for him to display his power over all that seeks to destroy us. This is about you. You Yet the scriptures are about you. They're about God speaking to you in your life. And the death of Lazarus then and there a couple thousand years ago is essential for him to display his power over all that seeks to destroy us because we have a God who cares about our real lives. Do you get that? See, I I went to Sunday school here in this church back in, as the kids say, back in the 19s. You know, back in the 19s. I went to Sunday school and sometimes our Sunday school class, I particularly remember in one of our grades, I, I can't remember one of those, little kids, you know, you're learning to read the Bible, you're supposed to have memory verses and stuff like that. We would start class with Bible memory verses. We didn't get to take donuts to class like you guys did today. We, we had, to, And we didn't even get to earn our donuts back then. But we got, we got little pencils or something like that. So we'd have Bible memory verse time and I remember... You know, that they'd say, okay, on your marks, get set, go. Somebody yell out their first memory verse. Do you know what every boy in, what verse, every, it was in our scripture today. Every boy in this church knew, what verse is it, anybody? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, so you played the same game, right? And I'll tell you what, that was, I mean, you know, you'd be going, you'd be rapid fire and the first one always be like, John eleven thirty-five. Jesus wept. Then you get John three sixteen. then you go to Psalm 23, and then it got kind of sketchy after that. But you know, um, everybody knows that verse. And you know why? First, it's easy for little boys to remember. Secondly, because it's true. What does that mean to you? Jesus wept. It means that you have a Jesus, a Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God, who cares about your real life. He knows it. it's not. It's not like the, the Greek concept of God, who was far off, emotionless, and wouldn't get involved in the messy, transient affairs of our life. You have a life, a, a, a Messiah who feels grief. He looks at his friends who are crying, and he cries alongside of them. He looks along at, beside his the people that, that, that knows, and he thinks about his own friend because he's fully human, and he weeps, and he thinks about you. I mean, I think when Jesus, first of all, saw the broken mind of the one who went to Oregon, because remember, he knew that was coming before we did, he wept for that boy. And when he did what he did in Oregon this weekend... He weeps now for those families and every soul. See, Jesus isn't disenfranchised with us. He isn't far away from us. He doesn't know what's going on. I mean, it's not like he doesn't know what's going on with us. But he wants us to be open to him and real to him. See, he knows our real lives. And sometimes we whitewash them. We, we put a facade over our real lives. you know. And Even people on the outside of the church think that we whitewash ourselves to come into here. Boy, we've got to quit doing that. You know, Jesus wants us to expose to him our real life, our raw life, our, 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 our thoughts that we sometimes don't want exposed to the, to, to the world. He, he wants us to be completely transparent and truthful because, first of all, he cares, and secondly, he already knows. He already knows, and he, he doesn't want to, us to share with him the person that we like to be. He wants us to share with us, him, the person that we are, so he can help us become the person he wants us to be. You see, there's a difference there. When you align your life with Him, but when you expose yourself to Him, you're aligning your life with Him and He's going to act in such ways, and get this, because this is obviously what I want you to write down from this message, this, whatever you're in front of, will not end in death. He'll act in such ways that this will not end in death. And understand this because this is a very important, critical part of the Christian message that cannot be missed. You see, this whole story of Lazarus is about the rehearsal of Jesus' own crucifixion and resurrection. You get that, don't you? You say, well, the stone rolled away. Oh, this guy that's been really dead comes to life. This sounds familiar. Understand and and buy into this because here's the thing. My favorite line in this sermon right now, this is what this is about for all of us. Jesus kills death. If I was a rapper, you walk off on that one. Jesus kills death. Now, that's incredibly important for many, many of us. I I have to tell you, maybe I've exposed this. I know I have with my confirmation students. But when I was a young boy, I'm talking a boy, even into my adolescence, one of the things, the thing probably, that was terrifying to me was the idea that someday I had to die. Because I had in my quiver all those Bible verses. I had in my quiver a family that was willing to interpret death. But I will tell you, my mother's here so you can have a little holy huddle with her afterwards. She can tell you that there there were nights when I would be laying on my bed, I could not sleep, and I would fire out of that bed like I was shot out of a slingshot to her side and say, explain this. And, And to see the depth, probably been hard for a mom, you know, to see the depth of fear within a child. You know that has that in front of them but but here's what happens to me as life goes on I start understanding that Jesus on the cross doesn't just kill his own death he killed mine too and he killed yours too if you align with him you see Jesus kills death by raising Jairus's daughter from the dead he kills death by raising the widow's son he kills death by raising Lazarus from the dead who was truly like in the wizard of Oz completely dead they were all completely dead. And none of these, not Jairus' daughter, not the widow's son, not Lazarus, is accounted for after the resurrection. Because the revival was not about them. It was about the glory of God and in killing death for all who would love to be with him forever. And who would align their lives with him. And then Jesus kills his own death you got to get this, because I think when I got this is when I understood this. When I understood Jesus, I could understand me. I could understand my purpose for life. I could understand the fact that even though death is undefeated for all of us, I mean, some of us have beat cancer. Some of us have beat depression. Some of us beat a lot of different things. Ain't none of us going to beat death, except Jesus. And this is how he kills his own death. Jesus is killed on the cross. You know the story, of the crucifixion, all that. And then he meets with his disciples. Fully restored. Now, it's not like, you know, every year, especially when you live in the West, every year you hear this story about some mountaineer that went out into the mountains or somebody that had a plane crash out in the West and they, they broke both their arms and their leg, you know, and they didn't have any food. They had like a, a packet of Hunt's ketchup and, and they were in the wilderness for 38 days and they, you know, they climbed on their one stub and they finally got to a road and a park ranger found them and they were just emaciated and they had very little life into them and they got them to you know, surgery and eight months later, they were able to walk out and a little TV story on that. We hear about that every day. This is not how Jesus reappears. He doesn't limp into the upper room. He doesn't crawl all beat up. He shows up. He appears to them and they, now remember who he's appearing to. He's appearing to guys that ran for their lives three days earlier because they knew him. He, he, they ran for their lives because they were afraid to affiliate him. Peter denied him, you know, not only saying he didn't want anything to do with it, but he cursed him. Okay? Three days later, Jesus shows up to them in such a way. Not as an escapee from the tomb. Not as an escapee coming to the hideout. He appears to them as their risen Lord and he is so convincing, what they see is so convincing, that all of those who knew him decided that they would give everything that they have and begin a ministry, not in some far out place, but right then, there. He was so convincing that his brother James says, truly this is the Messiah. Now, you might know my brother Mark and my sister Sherry. And I believe they would say some nice things about me. They would probably say, Mike is a good husband, a good guy, a good dad, probably even a fairly decent brother and son. But they would never say, I believe Mike is the son of God, the child of God. But how amazing, how thoroughly credible do you have to be if your brother says, I don't know much, but I know that's the son of God that's a lot that is completely killing off not just death itself but the very idea of death robbing us from everything see Jesus kills death so that the glory of God might be seen and believed that's what this is about that's what John is about to see and believe the glory of God the little girl the widow's son Lazarus we never hear from them but their death is gone We we never hear what happened to them later in life. Their point was so that Jesus might resurrect them and you. And we might not be heard of again either. But we shall be resurrected. Because whoever believes in Christ has a spiritual life that death cannot conquer or diminish in any way. Do you believe this life? Do you believe in this life? See, This, the the life you're in, the, the struggles and the trials and the whatever, as the youth today say, the whatever that you're in the midst of today does not end in death. This will not end in death. This ends in the glory of the life. This ends in the glory of the life. And for all who align with Christ, regardless of what language they speak, Regardless if they have a cool house of worship like this or the one you saw on the screen a few minutes ago. And this is why. See, in a minute, and if you're new here, let me explain a couple of things about what we're gonna do in communion. <clears throat> in a minute we're gonna have communion stations at the end of each one of these aisles. And communion in the United Methodist Church is open for all who would desire to receive Jesus Christ or who love to be in his presence. And, and not only do we have it here, but through these bags, we take it beyond this place. But you, in this service, you'll be ushered. So simply come from the back and come down. And you take a piece of bread, you dip it into the cup with your own hand, and then you receive it. Now, a lot of us have been here maybe hundreds of times for this. And I just want to claim today that we have routines. You know, I, we move stuff around every once in a while. And people say, oh, you can't do that. It's never been done that way. Well, probably has. <laughs> We're celebrating our 175th year. It's probably been done whatever we do before. But, but we like routines. And when you come to communion today, I, I really admonish you, I, I encourage you to not let this be a routine. Don't let it be the same thing. Let it be different. L- let it be a time when you ask yourself, do I really remember Jesus in my life? Am I really aspiring to align with the will of God in everything I single, I do? That's enough. That's enough. On the last night of his life, the story you know, Jesus took a loaf of bread, broke it, offered it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This bread which you have just seen broken before you is symbolic of my body, which also you'll see broken before you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so after the supper... When all had had their fill, Jesus took the cup, raised it to his Father in heaven, and said, Drink from this, all of you. For in this cup is the wine which represents my blood, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you eat this bread, drink this wine in remembrance of me. So this morning, when you come forward, or if I come to you because you're unable to come forward, eat the bread and drink the wine and remember Jesus. And seek to define daily what place he has in your life.
0: Give us just a second to get set and uh, we'll serve you.